Welcome to the Chabad Around the World podcast. My name is Mandy Bressinger, and I'll be your host, taking you on an adventure every single week. Together, we'll fly out to remote places around the world to meet up with the Chabad emissaries, hear about their stories, their daily activities, and the inspiration that keeps them going on a daily basis. has been a yeshiva student, a gossip columnist, a film critic, a restaurant reviewer, an essayist, a humorist, a journalist, and radio talk show host. He's the author of several books, including Canada is Not a Real Country, and his latest book, a post-Holocaust memoir entitled Makeup Tips from Auschwitz, How Vanity Saved My Mother's Life. He's the winner of the Golden Ribbon Award for Excellence in Broadcasting. Tommy has a BA from McGill University and a Bachelor of Journalism degree from Carleton University in Ottawa, but steadfastly maintains he was not harmed by either experience. Tommy's book, Makeup Tips from Auschwitz, uh, How Vanity Vanity Saved My Mother's uh, Life, is available everywhere. Books are sold. You can order online specifically on indigo.ca and amazon.ca in Canada, as well as amazon.com and Barnes & Noble's in the U.S., uh, thank you so much, Tanya. Tommy. I'm going to unmute you. Tommy will share with us some introductory remarks for our today's journey. Thank you very much, uh, Rabbi Mendy. I've uh, been joining Rabbi Mendy, as many of you have, on these weekly trips all over the world, and they've been absolutely uh, fascinating. And then he told me that his birthday was uh, coming up a few days ago, was the Jewish one coming up uh, on uh, April 24th, the English one coming up on Shabbos. And, uh, and he was telling me what the program was gonna be. And he said, the question was, is there scientific proof of the imminent arrival of Mashiach? Well, that sounded certainly sounded like a very intriguing title. And the reason I was intrigued by it is there seemed to be it did seem to be, I did get this inkling that uh, there are new, many unusual developments happening in uh, human history. Specifically, I was thinking about uh, two books that I, I'd read by this guy, Steven Pinker, who's a well-known public uh, intellectual. He's a psychologist. He, he's not a rabbi. As a matter of fact, his wife, Rebecca Newberger Goldstein, uh, he and his wife, they're both renowned uh, skeptics. Uh, Pinker himself, he's a former Montrealer, went to Wager, Dawson, McGill and uh, and Harvard, and he wrote a couple of books, and I was intrigued by some of what he said in the books that seemed to dovetail with what uh, this title, Is There Scientific Proof of the Imminent Arrival of Mashiach? Some of it seemed to be connected. So one of his uh, books is called The Better Angels of Our Nature. Now, uh, you're very lucky. It's 800 pages long, and you don't have to read it. Uh, I read it. Bill Gates said it was the best work he'd read in a decade. And he, and basically the gist of the book, if I can sum it up for you, is saying despite the headlines that always focus on the negative, uh, we're living longer. In many cases, we're healthier, we're freer, we're happier. It took less than a year uh, to come up with the COVID vaccine. Usually it takes around 10 years. It's a more peaceful time than before. International wars, they're down. The murder rate is down. The rate of capital punishment is down. Corporate punishment is down. Uh, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, if your wife or your children didn't listen to you, you could smack them around, beat them up, slap them and hit them, and that would be uh, acceptable in society. Today, that is absolutely not acceptable. 
Spanking was completely normal. Now it is uh, unacceptable. The number of deaths from terrorism, terrorism is so small that even if you take minor means to avoid them, you can actually increase the risk. He mentioned one study that found 1,500 Americans died in the year after 9-11, not from a terrorist attack, but, but because they were so afraid of terrorist attacks, they started driving instead of flying. So there are more uh, car accidents. Uh, the weather, we can predict that better. Why? Because there's more safety education, more people, people who are living in, in cities. He even talked in the books about the time spent doing laundry. Uh, think about that. In 1920, close to 12 hours. With the invention of the washing machine, instead of 12 hours uh, a week, it's 90 minutes. And why is that a big deal? Well, because you have more time to binge watch Stissel or start a new business or read a book or study with Mendy. Uh, another book this guy Pinker wrote, Enlightenment Now, uh, and he says, if you step back from the headlines and all of the prophecies of doom, he had in this book 75 different graphs that showed improvements in all aspects of our lives, in health, in prosperity, in safety, in peace, in knowledge, in happiness. And both, he mentioned that both the left and the right-wing political ideologies have become almost like secular religions. But he said that in human history, after World War II, there's been a radical decline in violent behavior. International wars were down, fewer wars, more democracy, less terrorism. So there've been many of these shocking new uh, developments. And that's having read this book, that's why I was so intrigued about, I wondered about the scientific proofs of the imminent arrival of the Shia. What, what would they be? So to introduce this man from, uh, from San Diego, who's got a, an amazing video. I just got to see a few samples of it and it was uh, remarkable. Uh, and really thought-provoking. You watch this, uh, what happens in this video, one thing after another, and it is quite, quite breathtaking and quite amazing. And uh, here to introduce him, back to Rabbi Mendy. Thank you so much, Tommy. Really appreciate that. And I'm here now to introduce our presenter for today. You know, in spirit of my birthday, I'm taking off for, the, for a week. So <laughs> I'm going to uh, leave the presentation to uh, my, a good friend and uh, a colleague all the way from San Diego, California, uh, where actually my sister lives close by. And that's actually her Hebrew birthday coming up in two days. So happy the birthday, Devorah. Very uh, good time to be in San Diego. So uh, Rabbi Mandy Rubenfeld will, uh, is, is uh, there on the shlichus with his wife and children, a Chabad emissary. And I am thrilled and honored that he has given us this opportunity to share with us this absolutely mind-boggling, eye-opening presentation. And uh, if you want to learn more, we are having a uh, JLI course starting uh, April 28th, coming up uh, just in about uh, a week or two. And you can look up on our ChabadZichron.com website to sign up and to find out more. The course is called the, um, This Can Happen. I'll share the screen just uh, to show you. Uh, this can happen screen, uh, you'll be able to see. And uh, if today's class is uh, intriguing and something you want to learn more about, you can find out more uh, starting, starting, start, starting May 5th 
going for six weeks, a six-week series on this exact subject. So without further ado, Rabbi Mendy, take it away. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure and an honor to meet everyone here and to uh, present this very exciting, my passion, my life's passion with you guys. I just want to say, Tommy, you're hired. Um, you basically took my whole, you know, you just actually fed into exactly what I want to share, a positive message, because there's so much going on that's positive, but we fail to see it for many, many reasons. We'll talk about that as we go along. So happy birthday, Rabbi Mendy. And it's funny because that's what they call me here, Rabbi Mendy. So they kept saying happy birthday. I said, thank you, thank you. I'm feeling so wonderful. It's not even my birthday. Um, okay, so I'm going to share my screen here. Here we go. Share sound. Um, I'm trying something new and um, hopefully it'll work. Now, Rabbi Mendy, can you see my screen? Yes, I can see but, your screen. But you're not seeing the right thing, are you? Let me see. No, I actually, I'm looking for the right thing, but no. <laughs> okay. In that case, what I'll do is I'll go old school. But I, I, we see, we see this, uh, these lines that, that if you look closely, if that's what you're referring to. Oh, you did see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We see that. We see that. Okay, because I couldn't see it, and I was thinking I could see what you can see. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna connect again because what happens is when I connect my screen, I should be able to see you guys. Um, yeah, okay. Which is what I like to do. Everyone sees uh, it. Okay, good. Just give me a couple seconds here, and so if you shake your head back and forth or up and down, you should be able to see a hidden message there. Um. Can anybody speak or just you? Uh, just me for now. Okay, okay. Yeah. So if you shook your head up and down, can you see some words? I'm seeing, I'm seeing, I'm seeing heads shaking. <laughs> um, all right, I'm not sure which screen I'm sharing with you. That's the real truth. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, for the sake of everybody here, I'm gonna pretend that the technology worked perfectly. Um, the first time, because it's all about that. All right, here we go. So it says, open your eyes. That's today's mission. My, my goal is to help everybody here open their eyes and see something that I have seen and excites me beyond words. So we'll begin with some words of the Rebbe. The Lubavitcher Rebbe wrote these words a number of years ago um, in 1992 and in 1984. And he said, the eyes of the Jewish people were closed. But just before I continue, Rebbe Mendi, can you see this screen? Yes, the eyes okay. of the people were closed. Yeah. In our times, we are witnessing signs of redemption in the world. And it's tremendously upsetting to see that the Jewish people have their eyes closed, in quotations, and do not take note of what is occurring. Primarily, these signs are changes in the way that the world leaders are acting towards Jews and Jewish values. The opposition to Jewish observance by a number of regimes has ended, most notably in the former Soviet Union, where approximately one-third of the Jewish people have found themselves in a position to observe the Torah mitzvah the first time in 70 years. Furthermore, the manner in which non-Jews perceive Jewish observance, even in the Western world, has changed radically in the past generation. 
Consider that before World War II, many thousands of Jewish families found themselves unable to earn a living if they were Shabbat observant, even in America. Yet now we find that Jews who proudly display beards and peyot are accepted and respected by a broad cross-section of society. However, the painful fact is that the Jewish people have taken all this for granted and failed to recognize that these are unprecedented changes of messianic proportions. The redemption is no longer an unrealistic dream. We merely have to open our eyes to see that the time of redemption has indeed arrived. So this, this uh, little quote from the Rebbe completely encapsulates what I'd like to bring to your attention today. And that's why I took you through the whole reading of it because I couldn't miss a word. The Rebbe was basically telling us that there are massive changes happening in the world, which are, this word's used way too often, but it has to be because we're living in these times. It's unprecedented, it's never happened before, not in the history of this world at least. And now it's happening wholesale. It's happening everywhere, but you gotta know where to look. But today, just like Tommy said, he read the 800 page book. I did some of the research for you. And I'll present it here. So in the Torah, um, there we go. In the Torah, there are many, many predictions, many prophecies that talk about what will happen when Mashiach comes. Now, as a boy, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. And I remember going to Yeshiva. And they taught me many, many things. And a lot of those were, what's going to happen when Mashiach comes? And what's the world going to look like? And what do the prophets say are going to happen when Mashiach comes? And I was excited to hear those things, like everyone else in my class. And I was waiting for them to happen. And they didn't. Because they were miraculous. The blind will see, the deaf will hear. This is not things that happen, not in exile at least, until now. And just going back a couple of years now, and these things are happening in front of our faces. And it's all about connecting the dots and seeing these things as they are unfolding. So take a look at some of these incredible dots that I'm gonna help you uh, connect. The property at 1809 Clarkson was formerly owned by St. Joseph's School for the Deaf and was created with a visual brightness and skylights, color and beauty catering to students who sadly only had use of four of their five senses. But due to advances in cochlear implant technology, most hearing impaired children in the, today's world have integrated into mainstream classrooms, making the need for a separate schooling system for the deaf children nearly obsolete. Now, I'm just going to show you pictures of this beautiful campus that I spent Passover, Pesach, with my brother, who's a Chabad rabbi in Chesterfield, Missouri, about five years ago. And the beauty was that we were, my brother lives down the street, just literally a, a one minute drive down the street. And uh, my sister and her children and my own six children and my parents, and we all came to visit my brother for Pesach and there wasn't enough room. So he asked the yeshiva um, if they had room and they had this entire um, wing of the, of the dormitory. It was never used because it was just a huge building. This used to be a school for the deaf. And now it's a yeshiva where they're studying Torah all the time. Um, only thing is when it was a school for the deaf, there were thousands of, of students attending. And now it's a yeshiva. They're growing, but they're maybe, I don't know what they are today. I haven't checked, but at the time it was about 50 yeshiva students with their staff. So you can imagine it was a very big building, um, but they were gone for Pesach. So we, for Passover. So we got to stay there and it was so much fun. Um, as you can see, it's quite a beautiful building. Um, and, and 
the, the beauty is that we were sitting there on the, during the holiday. And I asked my sister and her husband, I said, do you guys know what this building used to be? I said, no. I said, it was a school for the deaf. It's closed down. And I can see the look in their eyes like, wow, you know, here we are. The prophecy fulfilled because it says that when Mashiach comes, the deaf will hear. Now, it obviously means every single deaf person. And we're not there yet. But to be able to make a statement and say that the schools for the deaf have closed down is just so phenomenal. So I want you to watch today's presentation with this idea in mind. It's not you watching. It's your great-grandparents. And they're watching this, and they know what the Torah says is going to happen when Mashiach comes. And your job is going to try to convince them that the world is worse off than it's ever been. Okay? That's your job. So you're watching it through their eyes, and they know what the Torah says is going to happen when Mashiach comes. And your job is to explain away all these things that are happening. His central vision is completely gone. But that's about to change at Oxford's John Radcliffe Hospital. But this will be a world first. Never before has a robot been used to operate inside the eye. Inside, it removes a membrane just a hundredth of a millimeter thick, shown in blue, which is covering the retina, allowing the hole in the retina to close. So let's talk about what a hundredth of a millimeter looks like. It doesn't, it's too thin. And this surgery was impossible for human beings. You take your hand, it shakes a little bit and you've done more damage than good. This illness called retinitis is one of the most common uh, causes of blindness in the world today. This is one of many, many ways that we are able to conquer blindness for the first time really since the prophet said it. And that's the key. The prophet made a prophecy almost 3000 years ago. And since he said it till now, the only way a blind person could see was through a blessing of a, of a tzaddik, a holy person. It wasn't happening. It was a breaking of nature. The Rambam says that Mashiach comes, the world will continue on its normal path. We're not going to have um, breaking nature experiences. It's going to be natural. And yet there are all, the, all these miraculous predictions. So my little take on it is it's actually happening. Both of them. There are miracles happening, but we don't call them miracles. We call them Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning. It's normal for us today. If you see someone seeing through techno a massive technological breakthrough, you ask your friend to pass you the ketchup. If you're in Canada, maybe the maple syrup. Whatever it is, it's just a normal day for you. Okay, so... Just a few days later, and the results are clear. Can see it's 23 minutes past nine. So you just experienced what I would call a miracle. Um, only it's the best kind of miracle. It comes through us, through nature. As you may have heard from Rabbi Mendi in the past, the the Rebbe taught and Hasidus in general teaches us that it is us who are going to bring Mashiach. It is in our hands. It has to be us. We are the main players. This is not an experience that we're going to watch on a screen. This is not something that we are bystanders. We are the actors, the main players in this, I don't want to call the word, I don't want to use the word game, but in this experience called exile or bringing Mashiach, we are critical in its importance to make this successful. It's, it's all about us, actually. It can't be done without us. So that's the beauty of what's happening. Um, we're not bystanders, and we have to remember that. So, by the way, Rabbi Mendi, if you can give me a heads up when I have five minutes to go to the question answers, because I'm not on the time. So you'll say five minutes and then 
and then I'll uh, just say it. Don't uh, I can't see what you're typing, so just jump out. Okay, we'll do. Thank you. Thank you. Um, here's another beautiful example. Hey, hi. The brains behind some of the biggest innovations in legs, MIT's director of biomechatronics, Hugh Hare. Oh, wow. This is where we do the human testing on the ankle. Hughes invented a new generation of bionic ankles with the help of military funding. Jen here has a, a pad that's communicating uh, wirelessly, of course, to the bionic ankle. She's tuning various parameters. The timing of the ankle thrust is very, very important to walking efficiency. So before he continues with his jaw-dropping revelation, I just want to tell you, when I moved here um, 20, almost 20 years ago to be a rabbi, um, there was a gentleman who had been in the army, lost just like beneath his knee and down, he was missing that, that part of his leg and his foot. And for him to walk was so difficult. Um, he would almost always use his wheelchair as opposed to his stump because it caused uh, pain and and um, sores and all kinds of things. So he would prefer to use his electric um, um, wheelchair. But I have to say, people sitting in a wheelchair, when you come into a room and everyone's standing and talking, they're missing out so much of the conversation. You know, everyone has to look down to talk to them. This is a tall man, you know, and he could be part of the conversation, but he wasn't. But this was his preference because of the pain and difficulty. And when he walked with the stump, he would limp so badly. It wasn't fun. Now you look at this fellow walking around. I mean, you may know people like this. I see them all the time. And one, one interesting thing I noticed that they're almost always wearing short pants to show you how cool they are. I mean, just by looking at it from, from here, I mean, if, if he was wearing long trousers, he wouldn't, he wouldn't realize that, that he's wearing an artificial leg, would you? Right. Just like you don't realize I'm wearing two right now. <laughs> wow. Um, Let me show you. Oh, wow, this is amazing. So fully articulating ankle, so it, it adapts, I can walk slowly. I can suddenly accelerate out. <laughs> Stop immediately. The ankle has no idea what I'm doing. Then how does it know when it's supposed to give power and when it's just responding to my body? So Isaiah the prophet made this statement that would happen in the times of Mashiach, in the future. The lame shall leap like a heart. You're about to see it. The ankle has no idea that I'm going up step. I have to slow it down so you can see how awesome this is. We're going down, but it which responds appropriately. That is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Silence in the stadium. Johnny Peacock in the lead. Five. And Oliverio in 11.33, season's best. I added that just in case you said, oh, well, that's not leaping. That guy jumped up the stairs and went down with ease, without a second thought, without any legs. It's truly amazing. It really, really is. And it's uh, through our actions. But there's one point I come away from giving this class. Um, I've been privileged to give this to thousands of people around the world in the last, especially since the lockdown. Zoom makes it very easy to jump into your homes and share this with you. And one comment I get a lot is that, well, you know, that's not the end stage and that's not what we expected when Mashiach comes. And I say, exactly right. This is not the end game. We're just getting started. And one fellow said, so what? We should all quit our jobs and become scientists to, to continue to, to uh, 
hasten this, this pace of change? And I said, no. I believe firmly, as we were taught by the rabbis and the teachers, the great visionaries, that it is your Torah, your mitzvot that you do that helps the world change. A breakthrough happens when we do our part. Our part is saying Shema in the morning and at night. Our part is making a blessing, putting up a mezuzah, lighting the Shabbat candles and so on, visiting the sick. That's what we do. And when we do that, breakthroughs happen in the rest of the world. So, um, I, you know, there's many people in many laboratories working on things, waiting for that, you know, breakthrough moment. And it doesn't always come. Many of them never have it. But I do believe that we impact that the more we do, especially now in our times, more than ever before, because we're that close. So our actions are unprecedentedly important. So the Torah tells us that when Mashiach comes, there will not be death. There will be no more aging. We will live forever. Um, at least a thousand years, it says. So before there are changes in the world, in the fundamentals of the world. But we can get into that another time. So I came across this fellow um, who has Jewish ancestry in Australia. And he blames actually his one of his uh, family illnesses on his being Jewish. Um, Sinclair is his name, Dr. Sinclair. He's, he took this picture and showed it to the world. The mouse on the left was uh, treated with his stem cell treatment and the mouse on the right wasn't the twins which is hard to believe because just look at the difference in them this one can live at this time last i looked 30 percent longer what they call not lifespan but health span because they're living longer in a healthy way which is what we want we don't want to live god forbid in an unhealthy um physical state so this is this this picture is miraculous in its nature and we have a one of my friends on uh on in the scientific world, and I, and I obviously chose him because he has a longer beard than I do. Very few scientists do. And uh, Aubrey de Grey talks about the road to end aging. And, and, you know, these kind of words, a road, a roadmap to end aging was just considered um, crazy when I was growing up, telling people that this is going to happen when Mashiach comes. I remember people rolling their eyes at me and said, oh, that's really nice of you. You are um, a nice Chabad boy and you believe in fairy tales. Well, finally, now I can show the world. This is not me. This is Aubrey de Grey, a respected scientist from England with over, at the time, 3 million views on his, um, on his presentation. And how many of us, other than Tommy, can say that we've had Millions of people seeing our thing. This is the is mainstream today. We have the author of one of our favorite books, um, or unfavorite, however you you see it. But in 2016, Zuckerberg said, "Can we cure all diseases in our children's lifetime?" And, my, and I was like, I was going a little bit cuckoo that day. My family asked them, you know, why is why is Tati running around like this? Because these words weren't used. 10 years prior to this. It just wasn't. No one said this. Can we cure all disease in our children's lifetimes? That's mad talk. No one does that. And yet he donated $3 billion that morning. $3 billion. Wednesday, September 21st. Look it up. He did, towards this goal so we can cure all diseases in our children's lifetime. It's, it's magic talk. Only it's real. This is one of the most incredible uh, things I've seen is CRISPR, which allows us to alter uh, human DNA and a genet the genetic code of a human being. It's just so fantastic. And the more I read into this, the more I see that it is incredible because so much of our lives are dictated by genetics. And yet, if we can control it, and we can, 
to, I mean, first I, I read that they're able to change just a small um, section of code in a human DNA. And then shortly afterwards, I found that they can, they don't even have to cut and paste it, which is what CRISPR would, would, would do. They can just switch it out. They can do, uh, actually there's words like this in Kabbalah, where you can change out letters, which completely change um, the, the instruction to the body. And they can just be swapped out. They don't even have to cut and paste. It's just um, the people in the field, the experts in the field, their most common statement is, I can't believe what's actually going on. That's, that's what I hear most when I'm reading the article. article. I, I, I'm going to the lab. I can't believe what's happening. I can't even believe it. I don't know how to describe it to people. It's happening so quickly. So this is beautiful. If you're alive in 30 years, it's likely you'll be alive in 1,000 years. That's very much Torah talk. That's, that's uh, prophecy talking, you know? And then at the bottom is my favorite line, stand together against aging and death. That is just so Mashiach-like. It's phenomenal. 2030, hospitals may be a thing of the past. And um, as we get closer to 2030, um, people challenge this and say, yeah, right. 20, no hospitals, come on. But I am following what's happening. And you, you may also be, and you see that actually, this is very close to happening. A couple years ago, maybe two years ago, it was Friday night and a gentleman in our synagogue came to show. He said he was having chest pains and his wife told him to go to the ER. And he said, I'm going to go to the ER and spend three hours waiting. Not going to happen. I'll just wait till show starts. I'll go to show and the doctors in show will help me. Well, it's not common because we're situated between two big hospitals. We always have doctors in show. There were no doctors showed up that Friday night. And um, I mentioned it to the rabbi and he ran to his office on Shabbat, picked up the phone, called 911. He said, you know, chest, chest pains you don't mess around with. And a few minutes later, the um, EMT showed up and I ran out to show them where to go. And um, I said, he's having chest pains, um, and, uh, but he's doing okay and follow me. The guy said, don't worry, we have everything here in this attache case, this big like carry thing that they have in a ER room short of blood work. That was what he told me. This was two years ago. There's everything. It's a mobile ER room. They have it in this box. So, you know, when I, when I heard him say that, and I was thinking about this article, 2030 hospitals may be a thing of the past. You know, we may not need this in, in less than 2030. We're that close. So here we have a quote from the Rambam, Maimonides, not the prophets, but Maimonides who only lived um, just, just less than 900 years ago. The Rambam says, in that era, there will be neither famine or war, envy or competition for good will flow. And this is the word I want you to focus on in abundance. And all the delights will be freely available as dust. We're going to go down this path now for a little bit until Rabbi Mendy tells me you're five minutes left. And usually I speak more quickly at this point because I want to get everything in, but I'm going to speak at my normal, very quick pace. And when we run out of time, we run out of time and we'll have to do this another time. Um, hopefully Mashiach will come before that. So you'll see it with your own eyes. You won't even have to see the presentation. But the word abundance is the key because this jumped out at me when I had a, a person I really look up to. You're about to meet him. His name is Dr. Peter Diamandis. And he opens, by the way, by quoting um, something you just heard moments ago. So it's very interesting. 
Steve Pinker has showed us that, in fact, we're living during the most peaceful time ever in human history. See, Tommy, I told you. Um, Steve Pinker, he quotes Steve Pinker, and Tommy opened up by a quote of Steve Pinker, and he says, we're living in the most peaceful time in human history, which is such a statement. And that's not even the point I'm trying to get to, but I included it in this part of that little clip from the TED Talk because it's, it's just mind-boggling. We hear this and it just like rushes over us. It's like, okay, fine. Like, but look how much bad is happening. And we're not paying attention because we fail to compare. Like the Rebbe says, it's all happening. We're taking it for granted. Well, let's hope that we no longer take it for granted. And we are hyper-focused on this. And we see the incredible changes that are happening in front of us. To a point that we have the potential in the next three decades to create a world of abundance. So my question is, does Peter Diamandis, a wonderful man, a doctor, trained doctor, who went into business to make a bigger impact on the world, actually, who says the world's biggest problems are the world's biggest opportunities. Does he know what the Rambam says? Did he go to yeshiva? Did he study with Rabbi Mendi and study the Rambam? So I posit that he didn't. I can't say for sure because I don't know him personally. I reached out to him. I'm still waiting to hear back. But I don't think he knows what the Rambam says. So why is he saying the same words as the Rambam? The answer is because it's happening. That's why. The words are jumping off the pages and taking place in the world around us, which is the most exciting thing. We don't want to hear about Mashiach in a book. That was wonderful for thousands of years. We want to see Mashiach in the world. We truly are living in an extraordinary time. Ladies and gentlemen, what gives me tremendous confidence in the future is the fact that we are now more empowered as individuals to take on the grand challenges of this planet. We are living into an extraordinary decades ahead. Thank you. That was what the Rebbe said. This, it, it's, it's incredible to hear a man standing on a TED stage with thousands of people who pay thousands of dollars to hear him speak, say the same thing that the Chabad movement has been saying for so many years. We're yelling every single, every single week from Shabbat, we're coming to amazing times and it's going to be incredible. And here this man is saying the same things. You could, oh, by the way, and I encourage you strongly to do this as, a, as an action to continue today's presentation, sign up to his um, weekly email, okay? I do it every week and I print it out for the people in my community. And when I forget to do it or he doesn't post something, I get in big trouble. That's how much they enjoy it. They say, where's my Peter Diamandis' writing? I rely on it every week. It's a, it's a dose of positivity of change happening in the world that is so phenomenal that you have to be connected to it to see it every week. It's, and he, he writes a blog. He, he focuses on different things every week. This week, he focused on genius. He says, there's so much wasted genius in the world. Hashem put these genius minds in the world. They're able to innovate and change the world in incredible ways, but we don't necessarily know them. If they're born into a third world country, you won't know they're there. And their great genius will be, in essence, wasted, but no longer. He says, today with the world, the hyperactivity, um, connectivity that we're entering, um, we're going to find these people. They're going to have access to the rest of the world to make an impact. And that itself will um, catapult us into a, a, a brighter future, even more so than we're doing now, which I'll show you if I have enough time. So think, what would our world look like with unlimited, nearly free energy? This is such a big deal that we may or may not be aware of. So number one, it would be bring peace to the world, which is already happening if you focused on the United Arab Emirates. One of the reasons why they changed so much of their focus is because they were, saw they're running out of oil. So can you imagine oil is no, no longer necessary 
how much of an impact it will have on the Middle East and peace in the world in general. Cost of things would plummet. Cost of living would be almost zero. Um, think, you'll think about this later and you'll realize that this is how it works. In a word, abundance. So how can we achieve this abundance? What's the cause of anything having a cost? Why is it that things cost money? So there's a number of things obviously go into it. It's materials. Uh, you have to pay for materials. But if we can get these materials at a, a, a heavily discounted rate and um, human input, we can replace them, human beings, with machines, AI, robots. Now, you may say that's a negative thing, but I guarantee you in the long term, it's a positive thing. It may be painful initially, but there's other jobs popping up. Um, here we have the future of transport. Transport is what you pay every time you have any device in your house. There are so many transportations that have to happen. You have to pay for every one of those. But if energy was free and this little truck here can ride on battery power, which is almost free, and then there's nobody needed to drive it because we have autonomous vehicles, you can imagine how much lower the cost of things would be. And of course, energy itself to run all of our machines and that would mine the materials and replace human beings this is this is you know this is really where it's at so capturing power energy from the sun that's really a key and in, in 1980s the rebbe spoke about this as a future of energy so it wouldn't it be great if there were a ball of energy in the sky that had endless free power and of course we're blessed we have the sun um and i know i'm talking to you from san diego but Nonetheless, each hour, 430 quintillion joules of energy from the sun hits the earth. I looked that up and I had to look up the word quintillion. It's a very big number for you, friends. That's 430 with 18 zeros after it. The total amount of energy that all humans use in a year is 410 quintillion joules. So we're getting more energy from the sun in an hour than we use in a year. So let's talk about it. Let's talk practical numbers here. Um, our solar panels, for example, what could they capture? And by the way, only three weeks ago, I came across a breakthrough that really changes this tremendously. So let, let's take a look at this um, exponential change in power and solar pa power and energy that we're able to capture. 1985, tiny. And you see that exponential change is always difficult to recognize at first. Um, but only once it starts to grow big, does it double and become massive. So here we go by 2003, it's still small in this chart, 2006, 2009, every three and a half years or so it doubles. And this is what it looks like if you continue. See 2006 is down there on the left and then it keeps doubling. The amazing thing is there was a, a person talking about this. Um, um, I'll think of his name in a second. He's a, a, a futurist who's been very accurate. Ray Kurzweil is his name, a Jewish fellow and a big fan of his. And he says that they keep making mistakes. Every time um, the world, the world uh, IEA makes an estimate, they keep hitting the wrong number and they have to embarrassingly change it again and again because they don't fully understand the concept of exponential change, which I'm going to show you right now because it's so critical to understand it. So we have another form of free energy if it's not from the sun. Um, there's something called DAC, direct air capture, which captures the carbon from the air and translates it into many wonderful things that we could use. 
um, consumer products that we can use, like good, like fuels, plastics, aggregates, concrete. This is real. We can do this today. Not only can we do it, but today we can finally do it at a lower cost than we pay for mining. Uh, what is it um, to, to 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 pull out fossil fuels from the from the earth? So it's actually cheaper to do it this way. So I said there would be peace to the world. Take a look at this. I got this in WhatsApp and a lot of my friends, when I sent it to them, I was so excited. They said to me, oh yeah, that's Photoshopped. And the beauty is that it's not. This was the first um, Israeli plane that landed in the UAE just uh, within the last year, I believe it was. And you have these princes out there uh, waving and welcoming them to their country with the red carpet. Again, remember, you're not watching this for yourself. You're watching this through the eyes of your great-grandparents, and you're trying to explain to them that Mashiach hasn't yet come, and yet we're watching these people wave to an LL flight. Um, this is a video I was watching. I actually located it last night, but it'll take too long to, to bring it up. But this fellow, I just got the points I wanted to. This fellow in Arabic saying the game has changed. Peace is coming no matter what. Here we have something so incredible. Look at the top. It's March 4th, 2021. It just, just happened a little while ago. There was a tweet by this uh, fellow, Saudi tweet, Twitter movement. It says, there's no importance of the Temple Mount to Muslims. And waited, the waiting of the Jewish Third Temple, a new era, one of peace. If nothing else knocked you off your seat today, this should definitely do it. I mean, he put this picture. He or she, I'm not sure who the post, the Twitter, Twitter, tweeter is um they put a picture of the third temple the beta mikdash that we're waiting for coming down on temple mount with uh, a hasidic jew in a in a um strimal with his hands up and thanking hashem saying the blessing that mashiach has arrived no words so uh rabbi mendy how much time we got i, I need to know so i i i'm thrilled to stick around and i'm i'm just gonna let you go I'm just going to okay. let you go. Tommy's with me in that. So we're here. Okay, okay. Anybody needs to leave, we respect and understand that. But we're happy to uh, be here for as long as you need. That is incredible. And I, I hope I've captured the interest of people in it. You know, they can cancel all their appointments. So if not, you, you, it's recorded, right? Yes, this is uh, definitely This is on Facebook. And it's something that uh, if anybody needs to hear more of, as I said, there's a JLI course coming up or they can reach out to me and I can put them in, you know, I'll get them the necessary information. Beautiful. That JLI course is going to be incredible. My son was reading through the, the flyer on Shabbat yesterday and, and he was saying, is this your, is this your presentation? I said, no, it's a lot better. So uh, <laughs> you, you, you're going to enjoy it. So let's talk about the power of exponential. Um, what, how truly great is it? So I'd like to ask a question that I, I ask people. If you take a piece of paper, which is very thin, obviously, and you doubled the thickness by folding it in half, um, and then you folded it again in half, or you doubled it by putting whatever number of papers you have, you add that number again, and again, you keep doubling it. Um, and, you, and, you, and you doubled it 42 times. So I want you to show the screen if you can, show your camera. Um, how thick do you think that paper would be if you doubled it 42 times? 42 doubles of a piece of paper, which is so thin. How thick would it be? 
So the answer is, it would be from here to the moon. And if that doesn't shock you, then I don't know what will, because 42 folds, most people go like this, some people go like this, some say it's that, that big. But in fact, it's from here to the moon. And if you did it 43 folds or doubles, because you can't fold it more than seven times, you'd be from here to the moon and back to earth because you just doubled it. And that's the true power of the exponential. It is literally mind-blowing. Our minds don't work that way. We think in linear fashion, but in fact, exponential is what's going on today. That's what, not only exponential, if we had more time, I mean, if we had infinite time, I'm not rushing, but if we have infinite time, I would show you how it's not just exponential right now, it's converging exponential technologies, which means we have two separate technologies like computers and medicine, which are both on exponential paths of change. And now they're converging. That leads to even greater change. Like Ray Kurzweil says, the actual rate of change is on an exponential change itself. So that's why these predictions, these, these um, expressions of, that are coming our way are, are happening so much faster than most people believed because of these changes. And they're only getting more, more you know, real and happening faster. So here we go. Just to show you this example, I showed this to my wife on Shabbat four or five years ago. And we went through every single expression. We went through every stage. And when we were done, she said, I see it, but I don't believe it. And that might be your experience as well. So you'll do your own research on the power of the exponential, because this is how our world is changing right now. That's why it's important to take the time. So if you took a paper and you doubled it um, seven times, you have 120. So um, let, let's, let's do it quickly. You have one, two, four, eight, 16, 32, 64, 128. There we go. 128, like the computer chips that operate in the same level, 128. So this is a hundred page um, booklet in front of you on the, the picture you're seeing, which is approximately um, seven, a little less, but that's fine. It works in our favor. Seven folds, seven doubles of a piece of paper. If you continue that, each one of these is a hundred. So you have two of those is eight, nine, 10. This is 10 doubles. If you continue that, you have 11, 12, let's say 13 doubles right here. When you hit 17 doubles, you're about four feet high, okay? And if you continue doubling at 25 folds or doubles, you're doing a quarter of a mile. 40 folds, you're out there in space, 6,832 miles approximately, and you do the math and you'll finish it. So basically, what happens if you didn't just fold it 43 folds, but you doubled it or folded it 109 folds? Many people say, well, it'd be a, from here to the sun. And uh, you'd be so far from the truth. It'd be basically um, thousands of light years, which is the known universe. That's how big the known universe and only 109 doubles of a piece of paper. I still don't understand that. My mind cannot really grasp how great that change is. Exponential change is massive. In the Talmud, in the Gemara, many years ago, the rabbis explained, tell a story about a man who saved the king's life. And the king said, how can I reward you? He said, simple, take a checkerboard and just give me a grain of wheat and double it for every um, block on the, on the board. He said, that's all you want? He said, that's it, I want. And of course, there's not enough grain in the, in the world to, to fill that checkerboard when you double it. Um, it's incredible. There's some other examples, but take my word for it or don't do your own math. You'll see. So what happens to a world that has an exponential change? 
I'm about to show you some examples now. 3D printed homes, fast and inexpensive. We have a beautiful house, two stories, printed by machine. They came, they set it up, they press print, come back whatever, a, a day or two later, and you have this beautiful home. This is one design, the designs are incredible. Go, go online afterwards. I did it last week with, to my, my campers in camp. I'm a youth director and we, we, I had them mesmer. It was beautiful in the, in a, in, we were watching the video and I was able to go to the internet and show them everything examples. Do you know that some of the 3d printed homes can be printed for 900 pounds is like $1,800 for a home. And, and the kids said that was, those are really nice homes. I said, I know. And it takes a day to print a house as opposed to however long it takes to print our homes. They're still small. This one's not, but we're just starting. You know, we really are just starting. We don't need human beings to, to hurt themselves or to work hard or get sun burns out there. Just press print, press print. There we have it. So that's one example of exponential change. And even that's changing so quickly. Um, they have this one robot that they actually ship on a, on a truck. And then when they get to the destination, they press a button. It's like a transformer. It rolls itself. It's a huge machine off the back of the truck. It opens itself up. You put it in its position that you want it. And it prints your home wherever you want it to print. It's incredible. Um, well, when Mashiach comes, we're not going to have hunger. There will be no more hunger. Um, so, for example, um, sorry important call came through um how could we overcome hunger so here's one little example called vertical farming so exciting so powerful you can't see it on the outside but this old industrial neighborhood is an agricultural oasis inside this former laser tag arena about 250 kinds of leafy greens are growing in huge quantities to be sold to local supermarkets and restaurants this is Aero Farms, a massive indoor vertical farm in Newark, New Jersey. Our mission is to build farms in cities all over the world so people have access to fresh, great tasting, highly nutritious food. Crops are stacked more than 30 feet high inside this 30,000 square foot space. They're grown using aeroponic technology. AeroFarms says the root misting system allows them to use 95% less water than a regular field farm. They also use no pesticides or herbicides. Instead of soil, plants are grown in reusable cloth made from recycled plastic. And instead of the sun, there are rows and rows of specialized LED lighting. A lot of people say sunless, wait, plants need sun. In fact, the plants don't need yellow spectrum. So we're able to reduce our energy footprint by doing things like reducing certain types of spectrum. This sophisticated climate-controlled system cuts the growing cycle in half, so crops can be grown all year round, but with a much smaller impact on the environment. Okay, um, so I did my research and I found some of the benefits to consider. Up to 1,000% greater yields than traditional farms. That's more recently um, that came to these numbers. 99% less water. He said 95, but that was then. And now they've gotten better with misting system. Year-round produce, winter, summer. I mean, you know, Montreal, many of you from Montreal, uh, you can't really grow things in the winter. Uh, but now you can if you grow it indoors. It's locally grown. 
it's you take a, a, a old uh you know whatever big building and you just grow it no shipping needed it's really fresh i mean today when you get your fresh you know you, you go to the store and it says absolutely fresh and it's really three weeks old because it came from california oh, or it's, it's organic as you saw no pesticides from seed to salad in half the time of traditional growing things in the field it's um it's very mashiach like remember mashiach is the world as hashem is at home that's the point that's really what mashiach is mashiach is when hashem is openly at home and in a world that hashem is at home there is no hunger there's no jealousy there's no uh aging and so on all these negative things are babai and i'm just trying to show you how this is becoming a reality food abundance another example kosher pig i say just say that why is the pig called chazir because in the future the word chazir means also to to return it will return to be permitted what we're going to try today are the first thin slices of steaks we have produced in a lab setting I think this is going to be the greatest revolution in the history of modern agriculture. This lab-grown meat is not just a plant-based alternative, like the Impossible Burger. There's a technology that exists that allows us to, I mean, for all intents and purposes, have our bacon and eat it too, without any pigs being harmed. Cultured meat, lab-grown meat, clean meat, whatever you want to call it, is identical to conventional meat at the cellular level, just grown in a lab no slaughter involved. Its arrival could have massive implications for meat eaters, the US's $200 billion meat industry, and the environment. But we learned that a startup in Tel Aviv, Israel, may have found the holy grail of cultured meat production, a steak. Olive Foods invited us to be the first journalists to try its steak at a test kitchen in Tel Aviv. Well, let's give it a go. It's pretty good, yeah, I have to say. It tastes pretty close to a regular steak. I'm not willing to say this is the best steak I've ever had in my life. Pretty good though, <laughs> but it passes. An Oxford University study estimates that lab-grown meat could be produced with up to 96% fewer greenhouse gas emissions and 96% less water than conventional meat. Is this going to change the world? People love meat. People eat meat uh, almost more than anything else on the planet. If we and other companies continue to put our head down and develop sensible technology, the world will change. 96%. When you hear those numbers, it's, uh, it's really incredible. So let's talk cold. I feel like uh, a little hypocritical here, you know, um, talking to northerners montreal you have the cold and here i'm telling you the coldest place in the universe forget the earth is a lab in california um it's 0 0.003 kelvin just north of absolute zero and you quantum computers and ai are an explosive combination some expect ai to change the world more than fire or electricity it's already enhancing everything from self-driving cars to deep space exploration. And it holds the promise of dramatically extending our lives. Up and even a very powerful supercomputer all operate according to the same fundamental rules. And a quantum computer is fundamentally different. And it's parallel processing two to the 53 states 
which is 10 million billion. Since the largest supercomputer in the world, our estimate is that it will take thousands of years to complete. So Google, with its Sycamore chip two years ago, um, revealed that they have what you know this, this quantum computer power, which has changed from the time I put this in the, into the presentation to now. It has changed so much that they're saying within a few years from now, we can all have the ability to to tap into quantum computing. It took three minutes and 20 seconds to, to, to be able to successfully calculate that which our supercomputers today, which are cost billions of dollars, would take 10,000 years. These numbers, I think they bounce off their heads because they're so phenomenal that they sound fake. Only they're real. And it's happening more and more every single day. The full computation. Oh, here's another example, another dot. It says in the Torah, Laila Kayom Yo'ir, the psalmist Tehillim says, the night will shine as the day. Here's a little example of that. And there are many examples. This, this picture is middle of the night. It doesn't look like it. We have the ability to make it look like it's daytime. It means the new lenses. Here's another amazing uh, dot to compare. And this we touched on before. It says, It says in the Torah that another prophecy, Yeshaya, Isaiah the prophet says, the strangers shall rise up and shepherd your flock. In other words, take care of your jobs. And many people say, well, we need jobs. And I ask for what? Why do we need jobs? For purpose? I hope not. Our job is not our purpose. Um, it shouldn't be our purpose. As a Jewish person, our job should be to connect to the creator, okay? So now obviously in exile times, it's to make a home for our creator. And we do so by studying Torah and fulfilling mitzvot. Mashiach comes, it'll be just to connect in the most intimate way with the creator, understand the creator in so many ways. Hashem is infinite, so we can't possibly finish that task. But let me tell you, it's gonna be incredible. So, but how can we do that? We need to, do dishes and we have to do the laundry and we have to take the kids to school and there's millions and millions of things on our to-do list fix everything that breaks and there's no time to to get to know god we're so busy with our lives well the torah says that strangers shall rise up and my suggestion is and i don't know this for a fact but the word zarim which means strange in hebrew is a very selected word the prophet were try was trying to describe computers and robots to people who didn't know what electricity was. So he's called it strangers.
five-star chef cooking all your meals for you every day of your life. This is the dream and the goal that Moly Robotics is trying to accomplish. They have created the first fully automated and intelligent robots that can learn recipes, cook all kinds of foods with a remarkable precision, and then clean up after themselves. Moly Robotics built a working prototype of the Moly Kitchen. This futuristic looking workstation is equipped with advanced robotic arms and hands that can grip kitchen utensils, measure liquids, crack eggs, you name it, they can do it. Master Chef winner Tim Anderson was hired on as Moly's development chef and helped the robotics team teach the robots how to cook by using motion capture gloves and wristbands, much like a video game. This means you can potentially record the movements of other famous chefs and have a meal prepared for you indirectly by, let's say, Chef Gordon Ramsay. You're in denial! Molly believes that they can do for cooking what smartphone devices have done for communications and what vacuum cleaners have done for cleaning. As I said earlier, our vision for our system is to help you get things done. What happens is the Google Assistant makes the call seamlessly in the background for you. So what you're going to hear is the Google Assistant actually calling a real salon to schedule the appointment for you. Let's listen. Oh, happening out here. Hi, I'm calling to book a women's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Mm-hmm. Sure, what time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like, what service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay, we have a 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. is fine. Okay, what's her first name? The first name is Lisa. Okay, perfect. So I will see Lisa at 10 o'clock on May 3rd. Okay, great. Thanks. Great. Have a great day. Bye. Okay, so uh, obviously those people are excited. I was blown away by this. You have um, computers, robots, we're really, really advancing so they can take care of all the things that we need done. Well, we don't have to do it. When my wife saw that it says that they clean up after themselves, she's like, I want one of those. That was it, she was sold. Um, but there's much, much more opportunity than the Roomba, which goes around your house bumping into things. That's really not where it's at. And it's, it's a bad representation of what's gonna be happening, again, with exponential change. Another example is Triatamitim, the death, the resurrection of the dead, which is not just an idea in Judaism, it's one of the 13 principles of our faith as taught to us by the Rambam, Maimonides. And here we have, I don't, can't show you an example of it, but there are people discussing things that we've, I've never heard before. Uh, resurrect of the gastro brooding frog and the Tasmanian tiger. They're using the word resurrect, dawn of the extinction, are you ready? It's uh, scientists hope to use stem cells to reverse death in controversial study. Um, so this is where I wrap things up and I take questions if anyone's still with us, I can't see, so um, we'll do it afterwards. Accelerating growth in technology is not just happening, it's on an exponential um, movement upwards, as you can see. And the result of that is that extreme poverty is going the opposite way. It's falling down, it's collapsing. This is 2013, I should get to find a newer one. Our world and data gives you some incredible numbers. And the beauty is that you don't need someone to 
to to run to go through this with you you could just see the numbers themselves speak volumes and it's uh, absolutely miraculous here you have life expectancy going up hunger is down now there's a fellow named Nicholas Kristof works for the New York Times and he keeps writing how every year is the best year in, in 2015 2016 2017 18 19 at the end of the year, he would write, it's the best year ever. And then he describes how. So let's just go through a little bit of this number, what he says, and then we'll see what happens in 2020. Um, for, all, for humanity overall, means globally, life just keeps getting better. If you're depressed by the state of the world, let me toss out an idea. In the long arc of human history, 2019 has been the best year ever. The bad things that you fret about are true, but it's also true that since modern humans emerged about 6,000 years ago, he didn't, he made a little mistake there. 2019 was probably the year in which children were least likely to die, adults were least likely to be illiterate, and people were least likely to suffer excruciating and disfiguring diseases. Every single day in recent years, another 325,000 people got their first access to electricity. Now for me and you, we live with electricity, it's normal, we take it for granted. But there are people in the world who don't have it. Now, that number per day, 325, it's over a quarter million people per day getting electricity for the first time. Their lives are changing incredibly. Each day, more than 200,000 people got pipe water for the first time. Some 650,000 went online for the first time. By the way, that also adds to increased, like I said before, the minds of some of these people are so gifted that I shouldn't put them in this world. They can change the world themselves. They can give us new innovations that we don't have because they're geniuses and so on. And we're able to tap into them. So many of you will say, okay, I get it. But 2020 changed all that. It's the worst year ever. And I've heard that so many times. And there have been articles printed about it. And I understand exactly why you say that. And it's not your fault, but maybe you shouldn't have turned on the TV. Because this article in The Spectator says 2020 was the fourth best year in history. This was written, you know, at the very end, December 27th, 2020. And this is really not an opinion. This is what we call factual. The reason why they say it's the best year is because it has been. Now, if you were watching the news, you wouldn't have a clue. You would call it the worst year ever. But that's your fault for watching the news. Um, the news does their job, and they do it very, very well. Okay, the exponential changes in the world have also given the news agencies the ability to bring you all the bad news on like 4K, 8K resolution with the sound. I mean, the production is incredible. So when you turn on the news and you see how bad things are, uh, you buy it. There's just one problem. Whereas that is true. What they're telling you is true. It's a fraction of what's happening in the world. So I'm not denying that there are bad things that still happen in the world. That'd just be silly. But I'm telling you that it's our job, especially Jewish people, to be positive, to be very positive, to see that not only is the world not going to a bad place, but it's actually getting better and getting better at an exponential rate of change. And this is what is a little example I found on Google Images of what it's going to look like. Obviously, it doesn't have to be exact, but leaving Egypt, leaving Exodus, uh, exile, I should say, going to Jerusalem together to celebrate um, only with our cars. And it's up to us. The Rambam says that the world is on a scale. And one good deed could tip that scale 
and bring Mashiach. It could be your mitzvah today that will do it. Um, the, the puzzle is almost complete. The Rebbe told us that uh, we're, we're this close. And it's been 30 years since he told us that. So it's high time, more than ever. And the closer you get to the end, the more important every action that we take is. Like if you had a doctor's appointment that you couldn't get, took you months to get the doctor's appointment. The morning came and you got up and you got dressed and you ate breakfast and you got yourself, you drove over there to the, to the doctor's office and you were so excited. Finally, you're going to see this great doctor. And uh, you walk up to the door and you don't turn the handle. You're never going to see him and walk in. It's the small step. That's where we are. We're this close. You can see it happening. It's not wishful thinking anymore. It's reality. Thank you very much for your attention and sticking with me for all this time. And now, Rabbi Mendy, if you have any questions. Thank you so much, Rabbi Mendy from San Diego, California. What an extraordinary, eye-opening uh, journey. I, I, I'm still on I'm, I'm the edge of my seat and uh, definitely opened my eyes even more. Uh, and I so appreciate your uh, giving us this, uh, leading us on this tremendous journey, which I am sure everyone uh, enjoyed as much as I did. Um, we have now time for questions and answers. I just want to point out beforehand, as we said before, and Rabbi Mandy mentioned as well, if you want to learn more, uh, there, there is a course coming up. I'm going to share the screen so that you can see. If you want to learn more about Mashiach and what it means and how practical and how uh, relevant it is to our day and age, there is a course coming up starting May 5th. Uh, this can happen with Rabbi Fine here at Chabad Zuchin Kedoshim in Montreal. We'll be on Zoom, so you can join in from around the world. Uh, a credible case for feeling good about the future, a wonderful JLI course going for six weeks on Wednesday evenings, 7.30 to 9 p.m. So definitely something you can sign up. You go on ChabadZichron.com, find that there, and uh, sign up and join for this amazing, to learn more. Uh, if you want to ask Rabbi Mendy Rubenfeld here uh, now on the Zoom, if you have any questions, uh, you can unmute yourself. I'm going to give that ability in just a moment. Um, and I guess go online kind of thing, or if we can just juggle it that way, um, show a hand or something so that I can call on you so that we can have it balanced out in a orderly way. Um, otherwise, if you're signing off, thank you so much for joining us here on this another Zooming Around the World special birthday edition. Thank you for joining in on my birthday celebration. And next week, please God, we will continue our Zooming Around the World in uh we're actually today we're in san diego california next week we're in santiago chile so uh going off to see my friend there rabbi mayor perman and uh 12 o'clock on sunday okay so let's unmute uh, i'll give everyone i'm gonna uh do this allow allow participants to unmute so if anybody wants to unmute themselves if we can do one question at a time to give space and time for others uh, please do that. Yes, Sir Pinchas. I wanted to say thank you to uh, Mendy in San Diego. It was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Where do we find you when we're in San Diego? Where's your shul? Where do you go? What city? It's the city of Poway, and it's where Rabbi Mendy Bressinger's sister lives. Got it. That's where that terrible shooting was. That's correct. 
that's the Chabad where you were at. That's right. 18 years now. Oh, wonderful. My nephew is in San Diego, and that's where he would go. Uh, when he goes, that's where he goes. What I haven't done, I usually do, is I share my email. If anybody wants to follow up with some things, I am open. I love it. And there it is. I just shared it with the chat, so you can feel free to contact me. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Fascinating. By the way, Pinchas, my name is also Pinchas. Great name. <laughs> Pleasure. Incredible. Thank you, Paul, from Mexico City. Anybody else want to uh, unmute? Ask Rabbi Mendy any questions? Sharon? Thank you. Um, like Paul said, it was fascinating. But, and you, you went into a lot of detail for everything, except for when the dead will rise again. And that's what I want you to expand upon, if you don't mind a few minutes on that. So there's many opinions as to what will happen when, after the coming of Mashiach. Um, but like I mentioned, it's definitely one of the fundamentals. Um, some opinions say that will happen in the, in the, in, immediately for the righteous, and we're all righteous, the Torah says. Others say it will happen after the first tikufa, after the first um, time period. Um, but the more I, I've thought about it so much because so much of what I focus on is the physical rising up to act like what the Torah says. But that one, the, 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 um, um, the resurrection of the dead, I can't imagine that, that that's going to have to take the physical and the spiritual because it needs the spirit, the soul of the person uh, back into the body. So even if we can regenerate a body, we still need the same soul with the personality and all those things back. So I believe that's going to happen after the Mashiach, the King Mashiach arrives and um, um, reveals himself to, to all of us. And he'll say, okay, I'm going to do what I can do and uh, bring back our loved ones to this world, to this physical world, um, so that we can re-engage you know, engage life with them. The whole idea, it says that the physical is higher than the spiritual. Hasidus explains that the source of the physical is actually higher than the spiritual. And um, that's why souls who have been in, in heaven, in Gan Eden for thousands of years will leave their place of closeness to God and come down to earth to be closer to God. So exactly when it's going to happen, I, I don't know. I wish I did. Uh, today, let's hope it's today. But it's definitely going to happen. But you said when the King Mashiach comes, so we're going to have like different stages of Mashiach? Yeah, yeah. Mashiach is, um, is, is a process. Um, it's been happening for... Uh, 5,000 years, more, more, more so since the giving of the Torah, which is 3,333 years ago. We've been moving towards this era of a home for Hashem, when the tikkun olam, you know, we have to be litakin olam to correct the world with the name of shin dalad yud, Hashem's name. And we've been doing this. And because of our actions, we're changing the world, as you saw so many of the changes. By the way, if you think this is everything, um, it's not even close. It would take a month for, for me to show you just what I've come across. And that's just the tip in the iceberg, you know, uh, tip of the iceberg of what, what's actually happening. There's so many changes, fundamental changes happening in the world that could never have been talked about before. For example, like the Friendship Circle, something that Rabbi Mendy's uh, sister up, runs here in San Diego. My mother used to say that if someone had a special needs person in the family, they kept it a secret. That's because uh, they didn't want anyone to know. 
Today we celebrate people with special needs. This is a, uh, um, uh, um, what is it called? It's a change in the mindset of human beings that is so fundamental. You can't do these things. You can't have these changes. Uh, my my take all, all these years has been that the, the, the women's movement is not a coincidence. As another example, why is it that today we have a women's movement more than ever before in the history of the world? Um, because that's what it says in the Torah. Mashiach comes, the source of the female will be revealed. Isha to Sovev Gever, it says, and the, the, the strength of the woman will come out when Mashiach comes. And now, as a prelim to that, this is what's happening. The world is recognizing this. Now, how could you change people's minds? That's the most difficult thing to do. It's just, it's, you can't, but it is happening. It's already happened. And now we're, um, we're seeing it for the first time. So, so there's so many things that happen. Mashiach is a process. When this Mashiach king comes, and we're hoping it's today, reveals himself to the world and perfects the world, shows us how to do it, he will bring back the dead to life. Amen. Alavai. Thank you. Reverend Mendy, I was told that the Montreal crowd okay. is uh, very talkative. Anybody else have any questions? <laughs> well, we have a, a running uh, Mashiach class every Monday night, so perhaps, perhaps we have our, uh, we've talked about different things here, so clarified a few things, but okay, I think we're we're good to go. Rabbi Mendy, it from was amazing. California. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Very, very much. I, I just I heard that Tommy is never. Um, I'm speechless, and now I haven't heard anything. I mean, <laughs> a man of words. Uh, all right, all right. So that you don't want to be, be speechless. As you're following these guys like Diamantis and the others on a regular basis, you personally, of all of these things, what freaked you out the most? <laughs> so that's a, I mean, that's a great question. Um, you know, when I was a boy, my father was a computer programmer. He worked in artificial intelligence. That was my insight. That's how I got in, involved in these things. And and I remember driving to to Yeshiva when I was a boy. I missed the bus one day, which was a good thing. So my father had to drive me. And um, he was telling me what the world in the future is going to look like from us, from a from an artificial intelligence standpoint. He had a, a company which was um, the second largest artificial intelligence company in the world at the time, which didn't mean much because it was too early. Um, so when he described these things to me, I was uh, excited and waiting for them to happen. And when I see them happening today, especially the quantum computing, the ability and artificial intelligence, the, com the, 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 uh, mer the merge merging of those two abilities, um, literally, there's nothing that's not possible. If you can imagine it, we can do it. And Tommy. Yeah. I also want to get back to what you said about how our... How we look at this versus how our great-grandparents would look at it. Uh, there's a book by Max Gross. It's a novel called The Lost Shtetl. It's fiction. It's what would happen. A little village in Poland was overlooked completely uh, in World War II. The Nazis never got to it. They never knew about it. They just lived on their own in the middle of the forest, this little shtetl of, of Jewish people. That's the novel. It won the best Jewish book of the year award. It's a very good novel. Anyway, the point of it is, in it, when they are finally discovered, right, uh, uh, a guy who left town comes back to town in a helicopter. So from their point of view, of course, it's the arrival of Mashiach. You know, like from 
for their point of view, having not seen any of these things, this doesn't happen. They thought for sure, it uh, took a long time to convince them that he wasn't Mashiach. If our great, like you said, our great grandparents had seen any of what you just showed in this demonstration, of course they would have thought that. Uh, Arabs greeting Israel, waving to a, a plane, all of it, 100%. You're right, we take it completely for, for granted because it's incremental. It's a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And also the human mind can't figure out your, your, your folding of the paper. We can all nod all we like, but our mind can't comprehend it in, in terms of what it means. And we know it's true me mentally, uh, uh, intellectually, but emotionally, we, we, we don't know it's true. So I, I think that when you put yourself in the mindset of your grandmother's parents watching this from their vantage point when they were alive of it would be unanimous a hundred percent unanimous that it was Mashiach said because all of these things every one of them absolutely utterly impossible could never happen we don't think we think okay flying a plane is ordinary you know what, what's the big deal the telephone the cell phone when you're second late on uh, if you're looking for information it takes google like a second later like impatient why is it taking so long so we take all this stuff for granted. So you're absolutely right that you have to pull back and- Tom, I wanna tell you something so phenomenal happened last week. I have a friend who has ALS and a close friend, we grew up together, Rabbi Yitzi Horowitz, you may have heard of him. He lives in Los Angeles now. He has, he's not unable to move any part of his body other than his eyes and he can type using his eyes, but he's really trapped in his body other than that. And last week when Elon Musk uh, introduced the latest abilities of the Neuralink, where that, where that you have to go, everyone has this homework homework sorry you stayed too long now you have homework you must go online type in Neuralink monkey you'll see a monkey controlling a game on the screen with his mind only now we don't need that thank god well but Yitzi my friend who's laying in a bed for seven five six seven years unable to move he will be able to communicate with his mind he can control things he could probably be able to walk by himself using this technology and it's just again it's baby steps so far um, but like you described, this is just, it's hard to really wrap our heads around it only. And then the other hand, we have the young generation, the kids who can't wait for the latest technology. Like it's so slow, you know, no matter what you give them, it's like, oh, this is nothing. I can't wait till we have something greater, which is another blessing because we're able to, the younger people are able to incorporate change so quickly that no matter how fast you are, it's not fast enough, which is a, you know, my mom's always complaining. How do you expect me to figure this out? You know, I'm not your generation. Well, the younger generation, they figure it out in a, in a, in a second. My friend this week came back with his son on a road trip. They went to a couple of colleges for his son to go to. And what was he talking about most? The Tesla Model Y that they rented. It was like, you can't believe this car. I thought you're talking about your son going to college. Oh my gosh, forget about that. This car, zero to 103 point something seconds. You have no idea. It was driving by itself. It was freaking me out. He says, my son knew how to use it. I couldn't figure out how to how to work this car. Anyway. Are you, are you, con uh, Rabbi Mendy, are you concerned about artificial intelligence if it's growing exponentially of uh, where, that it could veer off, off course? Uh, and not listen to the instructions from human beings and sort of start making decisions on its own? So, you know, I have to tell you, that's a, an amazing question. Um, I appreciate that so, so much. I reached out to Elon Musk and, and these, these uh, they still haven't responded, like I said before, but I feel like the message that we have 
is so relevant to these people because they are so scared of artificial intelligence taking over. And it, it makes sense that it should actually um, on every metric and every level, except what the Torah says. So here we are, the people who have a bright future. We were guaranteed a bright future in the Torah. We know the future. We're working backwards. We know what's going to happen. Mashiach's going to come. We're seeing it happening now. We're connecting the dots and getting happy and excited. So a dystopian future, it's just not real. It's not going to happen. Can it happen from a physical standpoint? Does it look like it? Yeah, without question. Musk says it's too late. He came out this week and said, it's over. It's too late. We missed it. Yeah. But I'm not even the, in, in the slightest afraid of it because, first of all, there's still people in that world like um, Ray Kurzweil, who's very positive. Peter Diamandis is very positive about it. So these are experts who are also positive. But at the same time, we know. We know what the Torah says. It's going to be good. And this is, it's unfolding. So when the good, like Rabbi Akiva, he went to, um, he went to the holy, um, the, the Bet HaMikdash, the, the, the um, Temple Mount after the destruction. And he was with his friends, colleagues, and they were crying at the destruction. And he saw a fox running on the place of the Holy of Holies. And he was smiling and laughing. And they said, what are you doing? This is the mo this is Hashem's home destroyed. People died. There's, you know, rivers of blood. How could you smile? He said, because the prophets said that there would be a fox running in the Holy of Holies. And this has unfolded. So the next prophecy, which is Mashiach's going to come, is a certainty. Once you see the, the events unfolding, it's time to get excited and happy, not negative. You know, Hollywood feeds us these images of the dead rising. They're always, what are those things called? There's those, zombies. the zombies. zombies. And so we can't help it. We go there, but it's time to control our minds and say, no, that's a Hollywood invention. What the reality is, everyone's going to get up stretch, look healthy and happy, smile and hug us, and we're going to catch up on everything they missed. Show them our iPhone 12. I asked you uh, what was the most amazing one for you uh, of all the things that you found. The most amazing thing of what you presented to me, what you presented uh, this past hour to me was the uh, thing from a Twitter post in Arabic about uh, the third temple coming uh, and the, the recognition of that from the Arab world, from any corner of the Arab world, was the most quote unquote unnatural, miraculous thing possible. Never mind for our great great grandparents. How about from us 10 seconds ago? I mean, absolutely startling. Like, if before your presentation, somebody would have asked like a financial bet on it, of course I would have bet that's never gonna happen. That's impossible. There's never gonna be, never gonna be a tweet like that. Uh, oh yes, Jewish kids or or, or, or people in North America, yes. Uh, in, in Arabic, are, are you kidding? Never gonna happen. And voila, there it was. That was my line a year ago, a year ago. And I'm this guy, you know, promoting positivity. I said, that's never gonna happen until Mashiach comes. It's happened. It's like, it's, it's, it, it, so don't take it for granted. The Rebbe said, we take it for granted. Don't, let's not, let's not, let's not take it for granted. I just want to tell you one thing. I shared with everybody two links. One is the interview with that Lebanese fellow, the journalist saying that peace is coming, no matter what, you just have to share it with everybody. It's, it's, it just gives hope and strength. And number two is verygoodnewsisrael.blogspot.com. Okay. And why did I do that? Because I like giving you homework. And that website 
if you sign up like I did, and I, you must do it, you owe it to your family and your friends and yourself. Every week, he's going to send you a list of 50. This week was a little smaller. I don't know why. 50 incredible things from the land of Israel that Israel's innovating in the world. And you will see positivity. It took me so long to find a stream of positive news. You can't find it in the regular news because good news doesn't sell. Bad news does. Everyone knows that. So, but I found it. And I'm sharing with you, sign up. The first thing you always click on is Rabbi Mendy's email. That's number one. Number two, you click on the email from this guy named uh, Michael Ordman, who came from Israel, moved to um, came from England, moved to Israel about twelve years ago, and he he saw how many wonderful things Israel was producing. So he started putting out this 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 um, email blog, and when I finally found it, and a friend of mine used to send me, I couldn't sign up. I finally was able to sign up. I realized he says it's truncated. He he limits it to fifty things, but you have to go to his website sometimes to find the rest of it. I mean. 50 incredible things from Israel, breakthroughs, medical, scientific, how Israel helps the world. This is real stuff. This is not make-believe. This is not wishful thinking. This is happening. It's unfolding in front of our faces. And all we have to do is take the time to read it or look at it. Incredible. Incredible. So the links are in the chat, I understand? Yeah. So everyone can open up your chat box, be able to see them and uh, copy them into your browsers so you can check them out. Incredible. So we got we, this, the positivity continues. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Thank you again. Thank you, Rabbi Mendy. Thank you, Tommy. I really much, I very much enjoyed that extra conversation. We got a lot more out of Rabbi Mendy. Appreciate that. And uh, I'm, 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 I'm moving. That's it. We're all going. We're going Pack to Mashiach. Bags. Pack the bags. We're going. This is an amazing, amazing thing to be able to open up our eyes. And thank you for helping us to open up your eyes, Rabbi Mendy. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for joining me here. I saw that some people weren't able to see the, the video at the very beginning. The happy birthday video, was that no one was able to see? Was that on my side? No one saw that. Okay, I'm going to try one more time. If you want to stick around, I'll try one more time. It's a minute video. But otherwise, thank you so much for joining. Thank you again, Rabbi Mendy. This is a presentation that you do around the world. And uh, not something I take for granted that you... you, you uh, gave it to us. And uh, for more information and to reach out to Rabbi Mendy, if you want to uh, make sure that he's able to spread this word more, please uh, email him, right? Check out. Yeah. Mendy Rubenfeld at gmail.com. Right. So that's on the chat as well. Rabbi Mendy Rubenfeld at gmail, or you can reach out to me. I'll 